0: Right, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. David here, along with Seth as always. How are you, Seth? I'm great. I watched The Prince of Egypt
1: in preparation <laughs> for this podcast, so I am all set. That is so fantastic.
0: Did you watch that with your
1: kids? I did. That's I did. Awesome. They loved it. They were a little scared at the Angel of Death and oh. the magic show, by the uh, playing with the big boys. Yeah. But, you know, that's fine. It's fine. But they have to grow up someday.
0: Yeah, they do. And no, no, nothing grows a kid up like the Angel of Death. <laughs> Actually, that keeps kids from growing up. That's, <laughs> this is nothing to laugh about. This is a horrible way to start the podcast. Yeah, I had to
1: explain to my daughter why everyone was crying. Oh. because God killed the firstborn. <laughs> oh gosh, it's so intense. <laughs> it was not, it was I wasn't happy about having to explain that, but no. we tried to talk about Jesus. Yeah, in it. Okay. I don't know how great I did. <laughs> Maybe I'll do better now.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess this will be our attempt to have a <laughs> good discussion on how um how to talk about God killing firstborn sons. We will talk more about that next week yeah. when we talk about Passover. we will talk about all like the that. plagues
1: this week except the one right. at the first killing of the firstborn son, the yep. Passover. Yep.
0: So yeah, so we're gonna be looking at Exodus chapter five through chapter ten. So it's a big chunk of text, but the reason why we're looking at it like this is because it's pretty cohesive. You basically have God saying, uh, Moses, you need to go to Pharaoh, and um, you need to tell him to let my people go to come and worship and sacrifice to me on this mountain, um, but he won't let you because um, I'm going to harden his heart, and eventually I'm going to harden it so much that he drives you out of the land. And um, and so basically you get this escalation and this cycle of escalation where God uh, acts out this plague, um, and and Pharaoh hardened his heart more and more and more.
1: Uh, 5, verse 3, Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three-day's journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence and with sword. Pharaoh refuses and actually makes the work of the Hebrews twice as hard by demanding that they go and gather some of their own materials to make brick straw.
0: Right, because they had already had to make bricks all day, every day, but now they're having to gather the materials to make those bricks. With the
1: same brick quota at the end of the day.
0: which is an impossibility. Exactly. Right.
1: So the whole nation of Israel feels doubly oppressed and doubly put upon by, put upon such a weak word (laughs) to (laughs) describe what's happening. But, like they're suffering even more under God's hand. So much so that Moses in verse 22 says, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me?
0: Um, which is a really strong statement from moses right god why are you doing evil to your people i came here you i came here to be their deliverer and you're persecuting them more it seems what's going on for since i've come to pharaoh to speak in your name he has done
1: evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all at all at all
0: <laughs> yeah so moses is like i came here i did what i was supposed to do and yet things are getting worse for my people right yeah and so, this is
1: also the question we're about to ask over and over again ourselves yes like why are you doing evil to this people god yeah yeah why are you sending these plagues why are you doing this
0: yeah but moses has a completely different focus on his question of why god seems to be doing evil he's he's concerned for his people and we're as a especially 21st century readers we're about to be like why is god doing so much what looks like evil to these egyptians why is he causing so much pain and eventually death
1: and we would say the same i mean we say the same thing about the women of Boko Haram, right? like they're being abducted and killed and raped. We say, this is awful. Why are you allowing this to happen to this people group? God, what will you do to rescue them? Why will you save them? Well, when will you save them? When will you save them? Yeah. And then verse five of chapter six says, moreover, God says, I have heard the groanings of the people of Israel and I've remembered my covenant. So this is a theme we keep picking up. God hears.
0: That's right. So he's not, he hasn't given up on his plan. He's like, this is, this is all going according to plan. In fact, he's like this, this, Increased persecution is no surprise to me. I am going to deliver my people. This is just step one.
1: (laughs) And he says he's going to do it in verse uh, 6 with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. I think that for us, like being redeemed by great acts of judgment seems kind of foreign it's this it seems like uh you're redeemed by great acts of love usually right um but yeah i think that god here is showing that he's going to bring about redemption through judgment and we see that judgment throughout this story and we see people's reactions to that judgment throughout the story So so we should uh we should hop into the story here
1: well, one thing I wanted to say yeah. before we jump in, I just want us to make sure we like as listeners, as readers of this text, we understand where we are. I just want to see us in the doubting words of Moses, That's good. in the doubting words of the people of Israel, but also in the hardness of Pharaoh's own heart. So Moses asks, "Oh Lord, what have you? Why have you done evil to this people?" I know we've at, we ask that question all the time of our own suffering, and then in verse um, nine. Moses told the people about what the Lord was going to do, but they didn't listen to him uh, because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. And so there's often this, there's a theme within scripture, within the Israelites especially, that suffering like pre- precludes them from seeing God's redemptive purposes and plans. And God doesn't count that against them in this in this case, but it is this act of distrust or disloyalty. And I think God knows that. So in the next verse, he tells him, go, go, just trust. And just that, do it. Well, actually, in verse four he does to trust. Now here, he says, just do it. Right.
0: I've got it's you. It's just a command.
1: It's just a command. So right. I just wanted to say, okay, we can put ourselves in the shoes of the Israelites and of Moses. We both question whether or not God is good in suffering and in evil. And then we're about to put our shoes in this place of Pharaoh as well, who continually hardens his own heart.
0: Yeah. And it's not, those aren't good shoes to wear. We're not saying like, Oh, hey, we—you sh- should be sympathized with and patted on the back. It's like both of these people are told to shut up and obey. Like <laughs> this isn't; a, these aren't good shoes that you're fitting into here. This isn't like, hey, it's okay. Even Moses doubted. This is like, oh, Moses was sinful, and so are you. Is more is more of what yeah. you're saying, or at least yes. what I think you should be saying. Well, that is what <laughs> I'm
1: saying because we need to be looking not just for a great moral story. We don't need to look for Moses to be awesome for us. We need right. to be saved from our own doubts we need to be saved from our suffering and oppression we need to be saved from our sin and hardness of heart and the story won't open up to us until we are honest with our own doubts with our own suffering and our own hardness of hearts
0: that's good And, and to kind of to kind of talk about hermeneutics for a second and how we apply the story as we're seeking to in this podcast to jesus um but also you know we we often want to apply it to ourselves Um, uh, This is a good little rubric for this is that it seems to be that um, a good rule of thumb is anytime there's moral failings, you can you could probably see yourself in that. It's like Moses is doubtful. He's blaming God for things that seem to be terrible and out of hand. He thinks that God's plan is not coming to fruition. And then you have these doubting Israelites who aren't going to obey. They're not going to go along with things because they're suffering. They can't see God. And we can go, oh, yeah, that's me. Whenever I suffer, whenever I don't think things are going according to plan, I tend to lose my faith. Right. And so it's like whenever there's bad things happening in inside of characters, of the Bible, that's when we can step in and go, that's me. Like I can be convicted of my own sin and I can see how Jesus is better and and is the moral exemplar where other people are the moral failures. Right. I think that's one way. Yeah. And
1: we can also say that god is still faithful to faithless people yes so when we see ourselves as faithless and unable to bear up under the weight of what we're experiencing the lord continues to prove himself the god of those who cannot stand up on their own
0: that's good that's good okay so let's jump in here right is there anything we want to do before we talk about the first plague
1: no okay i don't think so
0: all right except in seven 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 three we're
1: already we're told again that I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen.
0: Okay, so we have this promise again, God's going to harden Pharaoh's heart, and it seems to be actually tied into the plagues themselves, that I will multiply my signs against him, and he will continue to harden his heart. Those seem to go hand in hand, that these signs harden his heart.
1: Yep, Moses then, try, or it's Aaron, sets down his staff, right. turns into a
0: snake. Or... Maybe a crocodile, I read. Wait, what? Sailhammer. <laughs> yeah, Sailhammer, who wrote the Pentateuch's narrative, he says that that, that word might actually be translated crocodile, well, that's... which would make more sense of how that went and ate all the the snakes that the the magicians... So does that
1: mean that the magicians just made snakes or that they made crocodiles?
0: It may, they, maybe they just made snakes. So I don't know where he got <laughs> that, but I thought that was really funny.
1: <laughs> well, regardless, Pharaoh doesn't buy it because no. his magicians were able to replicate something similar. That's right. And verse uh, 13, still... Pharaoh's heart was hardened.
0: Yep. So it still didn't work. <laughs> and so you then you have the very first plague. So that wasn't a plague. That was kind of like a warning sign. Like, look, like God can do amazing things. Here's a staff turning into a snake slash crocodile, <laughs> and he will eat your snakes. <laughs> and he'll eat your snakes slash snakes slash maybe crocodile babies. All right, so we have this first plague turning water into blood. Seth, any, anything you want to say about this?
1: Well, second, we first, second, third, tw- verse 22, the magicians of Egypt were able to do the same thing by their secret arts, so Pharaoh's heart remained hardened. There was a reasonable explanation to Pharaoh why Moses was able to do it, and he didn't listen. But I also think there's something... there's I think there's a more profound hardening going on here. The Nile River was where Pharaoh threw the the firstborn, right. the children. It's I thought about Cain, like the, the ground oh, the, crying out. The blood out.
0: crying out from the ground, yeah. And so
1: we have the blood of these Hebrew children that he's mm-hmm. slaughtered crying out from the river.
0: Yeah, it's almost like a personification of yeah. Pharaoh's evil acts. Or actually, it would be his father's evil acts. These, It's like as you threw these children into the nile river and caused them to die i'm now manifesting all that blood in the nile itself but what's also interesting um is a lot of people i've seen recently especially want to talk about this being a natural phenomenon they talk about these this red bacteria or That's something i've heard about yeah that, yeah that it's like a red tide and that the nile still even today turns red seasonally but what's interesting about this text that precludes that possibility is that even the vessels of water in people's homes, in their wooden vessels and in their earthenware vessels, that turns to blood too. So it can't just be a red tide. This is an actual supernatural event that God made happen, right?
1: Yes, yeah, I think for us as modern readers, we can say, look, we can look we have we don't have magic or secret arts anymore, but we have naturalistic explanations for Ooh. everything. So it's really easy for us to play this; our hearts to be hardened the same way. The Lord is, didn't do this. Clearly, this is a natural phenomenon that we can explain by our own methods. Yeah, sure. That's sure. That's really, really rare. And that's kind of impressive that it just so happened to happen at the same time all this was going down in Israel. But we can explain that away, and our hearts can be hardened to God's actions in the same way.
0: Well, that's interesting. So some. Uh, uh, so kind of what you're getting at is that, like, for us, pragmatism, science. Um, naturalism those things can kind of be for us the uh, court magicians that can they can explain the supernatural we can explain that away and we end up with hard hearts Right. exactly C.S. Oh, lewis to,
1: what does c.s lewis talk about the magician the oh. philosopher magician i don't know oh never mind i don't know enough about it. <laughs> 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 talk about it
0: i guess listeners look that up and see what the heck seth is talking about that's but really there you go it's really good apparently it was so good you didn't remember it that's so you know good writing that's you right just forget about okay it. i want to i want to make one more note and then we need to fly through the rest of the plagues fly fly through uh, pun intended for a later plague. But um, one thing that we don't want to make too big of a deal of, because the text does not make a big deal out of it at all, but um, we, we, we do need to say something about what these plagues are um, representing here. Because Pharaoh, at, he, was, he was supposed to be a god incarnate, so he was an incarnate god, and It was him who was supposed to be in control of the natural forces. He had this Pharaoh power, basically, that he says when the sun sets and when the sun rises. He says whenever the harvest comes and whenever it doesn't. Like He says whenever the rain falls and it doesn't. He controls the Nile River. And it's in him that all things hold together inside of Egypt. And so... God is basically showing that no, Yahweh is the one who is in control of nature. Yahweh can turn a river into blood. Yahweh can make wind blow in a different direction and bring in swarms of locusts. Yahweh can blot out the sun and make it dark all around. Like, actually, Pharaoh's not in control. Yahweh is.
1: Yeah, God is slowly chipping away at pharaoh's sense of control and hubris yep. i am the morning and the evening star which is from <laughs> the prince of egypt that's, <laughs> <The> what prince, <laughs> that's what he keeps saying about himself. so i am Ra. i am oh the morning goodness. and the evening star but like god is slowly chipping away at everything that he thinks it, he is in control of right and even uh in verse in chapter 10 verse 3 the lord of god the god of the Hebrews, says how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me so there seems to be an issue here of like, okay, it's not just idolatry, it's actually an issue of pride. Wow. Pharaoh just refuses to admit that there might be someone more powerful than himself, which again goes back to how are we seeing ourselves in Pharaoh? Do we explain away acts of God as natural phenomena? Do we sinfully assume we have more control of our lives than we think? Mm. Are we trying to dismiss the God's purposes and plans and saying that these are things that are within our control? If, if so, these are, this is the heart of Pharaoh.
0: Yeah. Wow. So yeah, we we, we explain away acts of God by uh, free will or natural phenomenon, like you said. Um, and actually, this is um, hubris.
1: It's hubris. I mean, we have spiritual versions of this fate, kismet, oh, yeah, karma. True. Like people, there's a general sense. There's some spiritual force out there, but it's not a personal
0: act of God. Right. There's always a there's always an explanation other than God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. So let's, let's fly through some of these. And then, um, because there's lots of conversations we have on the back end of this story. So, um, just stop me as you want, as I go through these plagues here. So the second plague, you have the frogs, they come and again, the magicians are able to replicate this one,
1: but they can't undo it because
0: Pharaoh (laughs) has to ask Moses to undo it. That's right. Which is, yeah, the first act of like humiliation, but not humility. Yeah. So, so yeah, Moses, at, or, or Pharaoh asked Moses to stop it. And so he goes out and this is, this is repeated again and again and again. Uh, Moses goes out and he asks God to stop it. And so God stops it. And then on this one, you just have piles of dead frogs everywhere. And it says that it stunk the whole town up basically because you had these decomposing reptiles, which is really funny. Um, anyway, but Pharaoh hardens his heart, right? So his heart is hard. Uh, again and again and again. That's how it. That's how it ends. And then you have gnats, in the third plague, and uh, this is the f- this is the first one where the magicians are not able to replicate it, and they actually say that this has to be the finger of God, which is
1: yeah. Intense. But it's, but Pharaoh's heart was still hardened.
0: Pharaoh's heart was still hardened, so it didn't work. And then on the fourth plague, you have a new addition to the narrative uh, cycle. And uh, you have the flies come, and God says he's going to cover all of Egypt with flies, except for one part. (laughs) And what doesn't get covered with flies?
1: The land of the Israelites.
0: The land of the Israelites. Verse
1: 22, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell, uh, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth.
0: Right. And then verse 23, thus I will put a division between my people and your people and this word division is actually the first time that this hebrew word pops up in the whole bible and this is the only place that it's um that is translated division everywhere else it's usually translated redeem and so this is this is very interesting here that there seems to be this set apartness this division this redeeming ransoming buying back that seems to be cropping up here for the first time that God is doing something to separate Israel from Egypt. So, especially in our setting today, we don't like to talk about in and out, included, excluded, right? We want we want equal and and so it's it's hard to not conflate our ideas of equality in here, but God seems to say, "Nope, I'm making a separation and Egypt is going to get flies, but Israel's not."
1: In the fifth plague all of the livestock died but again the lord makes a distinction and the next day the lord did his thing and <laughs> the hebrew people are spared the egyptians are not and the heart affair was still hardened
0: yeah and it's interesting that uh it's the livestock that's spared because the livestock's needed to take to um the mountain to sacrifice to god so god is even preparing and providing for his own sacrifice there he's keeping it safe i hadn't made that connection until just now i didn't either yeah but that's cool and then you have boils next (laughs) and um and this one's kind of interesting because again uh The Israelites are spared. They don't get the boils, but Egypt does. And you have this picture of Moses and Aaron being able to stand. And these court magicians who used to try to replicate all their signs, they can't even stand in Moses and Aaron's presence because they're covered in boils. So they're just completely humiliated and fall on the floor.
1: And the method by which Pharaoh kept justifying previous miracles, oh, my magicians can do this, therefore I don't need to believe you, Even though that's been wiped away, even though that doesn't work anymore, he still holds to his presuppositions. This cannot be the Lord. That's right. And then we go into the hail, and I'm think i not quite sure what this means. Maybe you can shed some light on it. Verse 14, for this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and on your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Because, I mean, all the other, the last couple of plagues have only been on Egypt, right? Yeah,
0: but we don't really have anything here i at least i don't think so when i was reading through this morning um they, it doesn't seem like pharaoh himself suffered any of these plagues that he was kind of isolated from them in a sense but these he, hailstones were kind of ubiquitous in the kingdom that they must have even fallen through his own roof in a sense
1: i guess i mean i'm just he like the nile river was it's his water it's Yeah. like presumably he would be near true. the nile river um or I mean also you well we had locusts and flies and boils as court magicians have all experienced them already you yeah. know obviously these things have affected him so I just didn't get what he was was going on here
0: yeah or maybe because of this one seems to be pretty devastating. it pretty much wipes out all the food and and, and livestock except for what's left for the locust and the next plague and so it seems to be pretty intense and so maybe this was, this was like, this is, I'm, uh, this is over your whole kingdom. I don't know. There's something unique about this plague, though. You're right. Um, and so next, then, we have locusts, um, and they But eat, before oh, we get to locusts,
1: that. we I just want to notice how Pharaoh's is amping up his uh, f- his fake offerings to God. Oh, so right. in verse 27, he offers his fake apology. It's Like, this <laughs> time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord for there's been enough of God's thunder and hail, and I will let you go. So first he is bargaining with God. Now he's issuing fake apologies, and before the locusts come, we're told, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? So I think I just again like are we seeing ourselves in Pharaoh? Do we see that we dismiss God's miracles and dismiss God's hand in our world by explaining it away? Do we offer God half of his obedience, do we say, Oh, I well I'll give you part of what you want, the part that I agree with. I'll let, you know, your your men go. I'll let I'll let I'll give you part of my heart. Or do we offer fake apologies to the Lord? Say, okay, I, I recognize I've sinned but not really change the pride in our hearts. Yeah. Again, I just want do we see ourselves
0: here? Yeah. And these are and I, I know I want to bring up a point here that some people try to make is they try to say that um that God was trying to give Pharaoh this chance to repent. And like that's why these plagues keep coming back and back and back and back. Um, and and, and it's, some people might even say, "Oh, is Pharaoh even here trying to repent?" But God is hardening his heart. But this is a fake repentance that that he's bringing up here. And you and you're, and you're talking about that. But I think it's really interesting how uh, the author points out that this is a fake repentance uh, in verse thirty-one. You get this weird parenthetical statement. It says, "The flax." Uh, and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they were late in coming up. So all he all that means is the, uh, the why does why does it why does he bring this up? It's because he's saying that the harvest was struck down. So the, but but there was still this potential harvest to be had egypt wasn't destroyed yet yep there was still 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 a chance there's still chance there's a future harvest and so pharaoh's like stop the hailstones before you destroy my next harvest too so this is a latch ditch effort of a fake repentance he's just trying to appease god to get it to stop
1: in verse 34 like uh the author calls a spade a spade but when pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased he sinned yet again and hardens heart and he and his servants. So he's sinning in his, the way he's apologizing. He's sinning in his hardness of heart and his active disobedience to the Lord.
0: Yep. Okay, so now we have the locusts, right? Yep. We have the locusts and they eat everything else that's left from the hailstones, it says. So what little was left, they came in the, and they come in such a degree that they blot out the sun. Um, anything here you want to point out?
1: Um, two things. One... We just told Pharaoh sins yet again by hardening his heart. In ten we we're told that God has hardened his heart. So we have this weird thing happening where Pharaoh and God are acting in tandem to yeah. harden his heart, it seems. And then again, he's bartering with God. Well, just send your men to the wilderness, but leave your women and children behind to to sacrifice.
0: Right. So you have God and Pharaoh hardening hearts. What's going on there? That's pretty strange. We'll talk about that. And then, yeah, and then he, Pharaoh was continuing to try to barter his way out of... His own pride, <laughs> um, and then you have darkness. This ninth plague, um, where everything just goes black, um, and that's this. This really does Pharaoh's head in.
1: <laughs> and this is this strikes at the core of his Egyptian identity yeah. as the sun god yeah. Ra. That's right. He, the one thing that was closest, he was most closely identified with, has been taken away from him. All efforts at his pride all everything that he was prideful about his crops his livestock his ability to control water but now even the sun what he was actually
0: known called for yeah.
1: is is taken away oh man it's all taken yeah. away
0: and so he and still though he does this one last barter he's like okay you everyone can go but leave behind the livestock <laughs> uh, because all our all our livestock is dead so you you and and Moses says no we can't do that because we need to sacrifice to God when we get there and we won't know what to sacrifice until we arrive is what he says in verse 26 of chapter 10. And so, um, then Pharaoh says, um, in verse 28, get away from me, take care never to see my face again for on the day you see my face, you shall die. And then Moses basically says, okay. (laughs) He says, as you say, I will not see your face again. And so, it seems to be done here and 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 yet next week we'll see that there's one final plague that's threatened and that's the death of the firstborn
1: so now we're asking how can we see Jesus in the first series of nine plagues
0: right yes seeing Jesus in plagues <laughs>
1: Which we're prepared for, which we're prepared for. All so right. in uh, Exodus, well, well, not emotionally prepared for that, <laughs> but in six six, it says, "I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptian, and I will deliver you, deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment." So before any of this happened, we were told the reason this is happening is that God Himself is stretching out His hand to mm-hmm. do these judgments, so that. Israel would know him.
0: Right, and so he would redeem them, and redeem them by um, outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. Yes. And so we're seeing redemption accomplished through judgment. How does that unfold? So let's ask, let's ask the first question. How does that unfold here in the Exodus story, in the plagues? How, how do we see that happening?
1: So judgment after judgment after judgment leading yep. to one of two responses. Either Pharaoh's heart is hardened or the Israelites become more and more convinced that their rescue is on the way.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I guess we'd have to. Do we see that in the text anywhere? Or we don't
1: necessarily see the Israelites' response to that until they're actually rescued. The Israelites yeah. are actually kind of a silent character
0: through. They really all. are. I guess it's kind of assumed that it's like if you're seeing Israel punished. Or sorry, if you're seeing Egypt punished and yourself spared, and yourself spared, you're like something is happening here, and you know, yeah, you're you you have to be more and more convinced that something amazing is happening to you, at that point. But we do see, I think, at the uh toward, right before the Exodus, I think we'll get there next week, but we do see um the even the servants of Pharaoh, some of them become convinced, and they they end up awing over Moses a bit, uh, because so so it's like it's kind of like a okay if they're convinced a bit. We have to under, we have to assume that the Israelites are all in, like they're excited about what's about to happen. Exactly. Yeah, and they and they end up obeying God's word that we'll look at next week to, um, you know, do the Passover feast. So they're they're in. They're going to listen to this God. They're going to listen to Moses. So okay, I, I'll take that. So you have punishment comes in the form of these plagues. Um, Egypt and Pharaoh um, are hardened. They continually refuse to to do what God says says for them to do. But uh, but the other group, they look on the punishment. The Israelites, they look on the punishment, and they are convinced. They are – or even if they're not convinced, let's not even talk about their, their state of mind. Let's just talk about their state of life. Like, whether they're convinced or not, they're being yeah, saved.
1: <laughs> yeah, their animals are alive. Yeah. Their kids are healthy. Yeah. You know, they haven't experienced what the Egyptians yeah. experienced. no boils. <laughs>
0: no. Yeah. And, and so I think that's really cool. So it's like you have punishment falling on um, Egypt – and the people on whom it's falling are actually hardened. And then through the punishment of Egypt, you have Israel being saved. Okay. Clearly here, I, I, I see a really clear connection with what we see on um, in people's response to the gospel story. So without getting too much into the punishment falling on Jesus, because that's not a really clear thread here.
1: We actually just know that punishment falls, and we don't actually really understand how Israelite. Israel is saved in this. We just know that God's sparing them in some sense. Right, right. We actually don't get the method of their salvation Mm. until
0: the Passover. That's right. Yeah, that's really good. Um, And so, yeah, we don't. So this week we don't want to read too much into this in terms of like the R word, redemption, which we'll get into next week. But we can at least we can at least say that in the cross of Jesus we do see punishment falling and not only in the cross of Jesus, I think we have something else to talk about later, but we see punishment falling, and and we know like there's two different reactions that people have to this Jesus uh, and the punishment that he took. Some people look upon the story of Jesus dying on a cross, and they're hardened, and they say, there's no way that this is how a God would act. Uh, there's that Maybe this historical event didn't even happen. Um, this just looks like uh, like, child abuse, divine child abuse, and, like, through this act, people are hardened. But then another group, <laughs> it's actually the same act by which they are saved. They look on it, and they find their salvation. They're spared. All these things happen. So I see a parallel here between punishment falling, and then you have two different reactions, right? But
1: we don't have two different reactions. We have okay. one reaction, Yeah, Pharaoh and the Egyptians are hardened, and... And then one action by God, God saving and pardoning his people, sparing them right. from punishment. Right. So judgment. we're not
0: talking about two different reactions. We're talking about one reaction, one action. Is yes. that what you're saying? So yes. like uh, God is acting and the reaction is Pharaoh's hardened. Or God acts on the cross and the reaction is people are hardened. Right. But there's one action action also the, 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 then god is acting and just saving his people we don't get this idea of the softening of hearts or anything like that here with the people of israel so we shouldn't read that as a parallel into the story of the gospel yet because we're not talking about people being softened we're just talking about regardless of their hearts they're being saved they're being pardoned is that is that what you're saying
1: i think so yeah and i'm so if you just even think about the story of jesus jesus comes Onto Earth, and he does these great miracles, great acts, great signs that are, one sense, calling people, gathering a following around him. But at the same time, is hardening the hearts of the Pharisees. Oh yeah, is it is am- amassing power behind them to kill him eventually. And to, uh,
0: yeah, no, no, this is this right? is good. Keep going. Yeah, this is really good. You actually see this as a precursor to the cross as well. That, yeah, as Jesus does all these signs and performs all these great wonders, people's hearts are hardened, and they don't understand, and they actually get angry, and they want to kill him, and it's through that killing of him that they bring about salvation for the other group of people who aren't hardened, which is exactly what happens in the Exodus story.
1: What you, what, you crucified and killed Jesus by the hands of lawless men. Yeah. God, what God had predestined and preordained,
0: like, you killed at the hands of lawless men. That is crazy. Yeah, I think that's really good. And then we see, so, so you see it before and after the cross. So you see it before, on, and after the cross, I should say. So in the Pharisees, the, the, the order that was hardened by the signs of Jesus, you see it on the cross when it's happening, people, you know, spit in his face. They say, who are you? You know, if you know, save yourself. But you also see people weeping. So there's these two different reactions to the miraculous acts of God on earth. And then also we see in the epistles afterwards, even to the report of these signs, you see that the, to, to many, the cross is a stumbling block, the rock of offense, and people are hardened by it. They can't believe it, but to others, it's the cornerstone. You know, one rock, one event, but to some, it's a stumbling block. To others, it's the cornerstone of their faith. So we have one miraculous event, but two different things happening. <laughs>
1: One of the other things that we need to look at then in this, in these passages, in these plagues, is that this isn't actually the only time the plagues of Exodus are mentioned in Scripture. Okay. So they actually crop up twice in Revelation, the last book of the Bible. So once in Revelation 8 as uh, seven trumpets or ten trumpets, and then again in Revelation 15 and 16. And John, the author of Revelation, takes the plagues in Egypt and intensifies all of them. So hail comes down, but it's hail mixed with blood. Uh, Instead of a staff being hit Hit the River Nile. A mountain is thrown into the sea, and all the seas turn to blood. Not just one river. A river. So the skies are darkened, but it's not some mysterious darkness. Stars like start shooting out of the sky, oh, and darkness falls. Locusts come, but they're like demon locusts. They have scorpion <laughs> tails and horse <laughs> oh, bodies. Wait, um
0: locusts with bodies of horses? That's pretty great. That, yeah. <laughs>
1: It's ridiculous. Sores come, boils and sores, but it's not just in one population, the entire world experiences them. So yes. the idea is John is using Exodus yes. as a pattern for the type of judgment that will happen on the last day. So which I would say we're a part of right now. We're we are currently living in the last days, the days before Jesus comes back.
0: Right. We yeah, you and I agree on this. We read Revelation as happening now, that this was like just like uh, John said when he wrote the book that, that these are things that are soon to occur. We believe that this is happening and continues to happen um, throughout our current age, right?
1: Right, and I think the the proof is really pretty clear. So in the same way that Pharaoh did not repent when he saw God's signs in his time, neither does the world repent when they see God's signs of judgment in our time. So and, six- now,
0: and now when you say signs of judgment, like, help me understand, because I don't see— going around Oklahoma City right now, locusts with bodies of horses. So what do you mean by signs of like signs of judgment?
1: Well, I think the why does John imagine and intensify the plagues of Egypt? Yeah. I think because he is trying to tell us something about the way that God works in judgment on this world. He's giving us I don't think the world's literally going to experience locusts with scorpion bodies or anything like that. I think we're going to experience death and suffering and disease and famine um, and thirst, just like Pharaoh and the Egyptians Mm. did. I think the more salient point is here. I think we normally look at the story of Exodus and we say, well, I think Pharaoh's kind of crazy for continually hardening his heart after all these amazing signs done by God, but John, I think, is telling us, well, the entire world is under the same type of judgment by God. How many plagues have we seen? H1N1, mm. avian flu, AIDS. How many firstborns have we seen slaughtered by Dictators or genocidal governments by Boko Haram? How many famines and hordes of locusts have we heard about or watched on planet Earth? How many rivers do we know that have dried up or run red with the blood, uh, like over people's war, over access to the little water that's left? Yeah. Like, how many people have we witnessed die at the hands of epidemics and dictators? And we have never repented. Yeah. We have
0: never repented. We think Pharaoh's crazy, but he's no different than any of us. And so not only we're, we, don't, we don't repent, we, we give other explanations for it, just like he did with his court magicians, right? We say like, oh, well, this is politics. This is weather patterns. You know, this is, oh, this is just biology at work. You know, locusts always come this time so of year. tectonic plates, Yeah, right. sure. And so we come up with excuses. We harden our hearts. And so God's, God's not behind this. Um, there's, there's explainable natural forces that are occurring here, and we don't need to read into anything. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, we yeah.
1: we refuse to acknowledge that God's hand works in judgment, not just in good things, not just in health, but also in the bad things that we experience.
0: So when you say judgment, and we talk about all these natural things happening, why why should why should we like look at natural events and things that are happening and see God behind it? Like why should why should we make that connection?
1: Because that assumes you're not Pharaoh. <laughs> no, I'm not.
0: I'm the good guy, right? No,
1: we, no matter whether it's God's goodness or his judgment, we refuse to acknowledge God for who he is and what he's done in our world. Whether that's the beauty of the sunset or the horror of a, a tsunami, we, we want to attribute everything. We don't want to attribute God. We don't want to attribute anything to God. We don't want to attribute
0: anything to God. Right. Not only like, do I not get up on a sunny Sunday afternoon and, and I'm like, oh man, it's so beautiful outside. You know, like people would just look at that and be like, oh, that's nice that it's a sunny day. We don't want to attribute good things to God. We don't want to attribute bad things to God. We don't want to attribute anything to God. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. So, but I think, I think you were on to something when you talked about like the judgment of God acting out through natural forces because, you know, it's like, why are there tornadoes and why is there hailstorms and why are there locusts and why are there earthquakes? It's like, surely God can't be behind those things. And it's like, but he is. And we, we, we deserve it. Like, right. all, like we, we think that we deserve all the sunshine days, but really we deserve nothing but the tornadoes. And like, like we live in Oklahoma here and we get lots of tornadoes it's about to be tornado season. And it's like when a tornado sweeps through, it's devastating. Um, It's really, really difficult to watch. The aftermath is really hard to process. And we're like, man, why did this happen? Like what's going on? But we deserve those kinds of things because we are so utterly sinful and we think that we deserve to live in a world devoid of those things. But actually, what we don't deserve is the sunny days where nothing bad happens and the tectonic plates don't shift and spirals of wind don't come out of the sky. Like, that's the days we don't deserve is the sunny days. What we do deserve is these days of judgment. These right,
1: days. because we actually had sunny days in the Garden of Eden. We had oh, a yeah. perfect world that we failed to attribute to to God fully, we said yeah. we can define good and evil on our own, we can choose our own way rather than God's way, and what was the curse? That the ground itself, that the land itself, that the world itself would turn against us. Yeah, It's part of the judgment of God from the beginning, and we just see in Pharaoh an intensification of what's always been the case in Genesis three. We had th- two people experience the curse, now we see whole nations experience the curse. Yeah. So that same intensification that points to what's what happened at the fall. What's happening with Pharaoh, what's happening with Israel says the sin that happened in Genesis 3 is unfinished and undealt with.
0: Yeah, and it makes me think of Romans 1 where we, we, we see that the wrath of God um, is invisible attributes are on display in nature. Like we're told this, that we should be able to look at nature and see God's invisible wrath over us. So I don't think we're anywhere outside the bounds of of biblical understanding to be talking this way.
1: Yeah, and yeah. the call is in all those, when we see God's judgment, the call is to repent. Right. So I think if you were to preach a sermon, you were devotionally reading these passage, what, what should you be feeling? Mm. You should be feeling the urge to repent.
0: Right, because you if you want to go back to what you were talking about with uh, seeing ourselves, not as Moses in this story, but seeing ourselves as Pharaoh, like, if you read through this story, like, yeah, I think that's the thing. It's like, oh, man, how is my heart Pharaoh? How do I fail to see God in, in the good and the bad in my world and repent?
1: That's exactly right. And we don't have in this story a pointer to Jesus. How, are, how can we repent and be made right? We find out in Passover it's through the blood of a sacrifice. Right. But you and I know on this side of the cross that repentance comes when we look to Jesus Christ. Who has died and absorbed the judgment on our behalf, mm. so that we might live apart and separate from the power of the of sin, not just in the world, but in our own hearts.
0: Yeah, and let's let's also let's also make this make this note that whenever we read the Bible um, in a Jesus centric way, uh, we we will often find ourselves in His life, in His death, or in His resurrection. But there's also times regularly, I think that when we read the Bible in a Jesus-centric way, we will see His second coming, right? We will see Him returning. We will see Him setting things right, because especially when we maybe get into the prophets and stuff, I think what we'll see is um, a lot of this eschatological, which is the the word for in days, this this in days prophecies that talk about everything being made right and everything being put in its proper place and after Jesus left, that still wasn't the case. Everything wasn't perfect. And so a lot of times when we talk about reading the Bible in a Jesus centered way, we need to see a second return. So you went to Revelation, so I'm gonna make you talk about it. So how yeah. do we see how do we see Jesus in this in his second coming?
1: Well I think so when Jesus comes in the second the second time, he's remaking the world back into what it was before the fall. He's remaking the world and human relationships into one that functions according to his plan and his design. And we're really not even talking about personal sin in Exodus. At this point, we're talking about systemic evil, injustice, genocide, natural disasters on some level caused by God, locusts, you know, Water turning to blood, which is not natural, but you know, there's these. It affects the natural world. Those things will be made right when Christ returns. The world will function as it as, it, as it's intended to. We will be free from all things that enslave us and kill us and hurt us, and we will live with God perfectly.
0: Yeah, and I, I also think it, it it'd be interesting to point out too that in the Revelation language, I was just thinking about this intensification of the plague language that you were using in Revelation to think about that like when jesus returns he doesn't just he doesn't just set the world right by making all things like good like he also punishes the bad and it's it's this this ultimate intensification of the plagues is in the second coming of jesus when those hard-hearted will finally and forever be punished as pharaoh was punished with all kinds of uh of like, that we get metaphors for in 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 Revelation. And what's
1: fascinating too in the Exodus story, the whole world is being punished by God, right. and a small subset is being protected from God's judgment. Oh, that's interesting. But in Revelation, that story is reversed. The whole world will be remade under God's kingdom and sphere of protection, and there will be a subset of those who are excluded, right? Um, and on the outside. right.
0: So r- let's wrap this up with um with with going back to your 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 idea of repentance being the proper response to this text. Um how do we in light of um the Exodus story with the plagues, in light of the cross of Christ, in light of his second coming and the ongoing plagues that infest our world, like what should what should we as Christians be thinking about as we walk away from this text in terms of repentance? Like any last thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, that The judgments of God are not made without, they're in the context of his mercy. Oh man. Like, so yes, judgment is coming and it is scary and it's all around us, but it's not without mercy. There is a way of escape, there is an opportunity to turn from it and to follow the one who is able to do all these great things. Yes, they're scary, but that's because God is scary. Yeah. And we can, in, If we we find ourselves, like, cowering in his judgment, just imagine what happens when we come into his grace. Mm. Like, how powerful must his mercy be if his judgment looks so severe? And we're told that we actually sit with God at his right hand when we come into that mercy and grace, above all authorities and rulers and powers.
0: That's great. I love that. Well, we're going to leave it at that then, because I think that's a that's a really encouraging way to leave this, is that, um, yeah, when God judges, he also shows grace. Whenever he separates a people for punishment, he also separates a people to receive mercy. And um, for one, they get a hard heart. For others, they get uh, redemption. And uh, this is how God operates. It's often a mystery to us. But whenever we see the judgment of God in our world, when we see pain, we see suffering, It should be an indicator to us, too, that God is also operating in mercy and in forgiveness, and we can repent, turn, and run to him to experience those. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit organization dedicated to creating gospel-centered media that speaks the gospel out of every corner of scripture in every corner of the world. To learn more about the ministry of Spoken Gospel and view more of our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com.